Welcome to the Epiphany Movement Podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Drake Nelson and is a continuation of the series From Weeping to Worship. Today, I'm going to be speaking a totally different than I've ever spoken before. And it's going to, it's going to, it's just different. I don't know any way, other way to put it. It's just so different than what I think that I'm accustomed to do it. And then maybe that even you're accustomed from hearing from me. But the reason that I'm doing it is because people are different. I'll give you an example. Um, how many of you, um, you make decisions off of how you feel. You want to just raise your hand, how you feel. So if you feel a certain way, that's kind of how you make your decisions. Hands up. Um, I, I feel that I'm a feeler, okay? Hands up, hands up. Okay, good, good, good. I see them all around. All right, now what about this? <laughs> yes? Okay, what about this? You make decisions off of what you think. Anybody want to say, I make decisions off of what I think? I think, and then that's how I make my decisions. Okay, good. So we have um, some feelers, we have some thinkers, and some of us are just kind of both. We're like, ah, it just depends on my mood. (laughs) Well, then you're a feeler if you think that. Some of us are different about the way that we um, um, receive information. For example, how many of you think that you are a visual learner? Like you enjoy sermons better or even lectures better when you can connect to it through maybe what you see. For example, if I you know, bring some pillows up here and talk about you know, you know, um, um, the decorations of the bed. Or if I come up here and talk about you know, building offenses and how we have offenses. I mean, anybody visual learners that it helps them when they see it visually and visualize? Anybody just raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, I'm just surveying you so I know what to do from now on. Okay, got it, got it. What about like auditory um, listeners? Do you learn really good when you can hear it, when you can really relate to it, when you hear stories or illustrations or examples of something? That's really how you connect maybe with a sermon or with a podcast or with, a, with anything really, any type of lecture. You're auditory listening. That's how you learn more and more and more right here, right here. Okay, good, good. And then some people, like, they, they do better when you just kind of throw them in, you know. You just throw them in, they'll learn as they go. Some people, when they go to, the, to work, they say, well, I learned a lot in school, but it really did not prepare me until what? Until I got the job, and I went out with what I was not, with, with what I thought I knew, and I just kind of went into the workforce, and I learned. I just kind of had to pick it up as I go, and you learn really good by just being thrown into that experience. Anybody want to say, yeah, I, I do good under that type of situation, pressure? Okay, good. And so that's a, another reason why I say it's good to participate in sermons, as you like, as, like for you to participate. It's good for for I think for people to say, you know, to 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 say amen or to um, clap or to to engage because it helps it helps you um, remember stuff and it makes you an active participant in like I guess kind of what we're doing this morning and so that's another reason why I say um, sermons sometimes need to be different I need to not only speak to um, Mr. David but I also maybe need to speak to um 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 
Sometimes, Mr. John. No, I'm just kidding. But like, I was trying to find a, a young person, um, like to, to young people too, right? And I need to speak to um, to, to the youth, and then to, to to middle age, and to all branches of people. People that are feelers, and think people that are thinkers, and think people that are visualizers. People who are auditory learning. People who. L- let me ask you this: How many of you really, really, really enjoy a sermon to where I give it and I like apply it to your life, and you feel that you can go away and really have a good application. Anybody want to say that? Um, I really enjoy those types of sermons. How many of you really enjoy a sermon that you hear and it challenges you intellectually to where you can you can see it, maybe they can dissect it, you can go verse by verse, you can understand scripture more, and you leave here with a deeper understanding of God's word. Anybody want to say, I love those types of sermons, okay? Good. And some of you really enjoy both, and that's really good too. But see, there's different types of people, and I think my job is to speak to Everybody, right? I, I mean, I, 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 that, that's a thing that I'm doing. So today, it's going to be different, but I think it's going to be good too. And so what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we are going to dissect this verse by verse. And we're going to try to apply it to your life. And I promise you I'm going to make it as... Um, as entertaining and as easy to listen to as I possibly can. And so we're going to Ephesians chapter 4, and I think we're going to dig in there. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Some of you are like, at the end of this sermon, you're going to say, Drake, this is the most boring sermon you've ever preached. And then some people, some of you are going to say, well, um, Drake, this is the only sermon you've ever preached. So God bless you both, and let's roll with it. Ephesians chapter 4, starting here in verse 1. In verse 1, it says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, and I just kind of have that in parentheses now, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Get this. Do you remember uh, like three weeks ago when we talked about how Paul and Silas was in, it was, we was in the book of Acts and how they were in the prison in the midnight and they started singing this earthquake came? A lot of people think that that was in Philippi. We know that that was in Philippi, but a lot of people think it was in that prison, in that prison that Paul wrote this book, that Paul wrote this book. And I wonder this when I was reading it, I wonder this, if Paul would have never went to prison. How many of you, let me say, ask this question. How many of you have been touched by um, the New Testament writings of Paul? Anybody? How many of you have learned, been touched, really enjoy, have read the New Testament writings of Paul? Okay, I'm good. Raise your hands. Now, you would have not gotten about probably... I would say half is what I would say. And some people would say more, some people would say uh, a few percent less. I would say about 50% of our New Testament writings came from Paul being in prison. And yet they've touched you. And I would say this, I would say Paul ministered to more people while he was in prison, right? Through his letters, through the whole New Testament that he wrote these books, Paul ministered to more people there than he ever did, than he ever did while he was out of prison going to speak into people, like, like how I'm doing now, speaking to Mr. David and going to the house churches. He spoke to more people in the prison than he did when he was a free man. 
I, w- I would say that, was prob- that would probably be true. And I would not say just by 10 or 13 or 15 times. I would say it would be true exponentially up to millions of times more people that he's spoken to all across the world throughout these last 2,000 years through the books that he's written in the New Testament, even though his chains was in, um, his hands was in chains, his chains were in hands, his hands were in chains writing than he did while he was verbally preaching to all the people that he preached to. Nevertheless, let's keep going. The next word says this, Therefore, I, prisoner, for serving the Lord, it says this, Beg. Do you see that word? I beg you. I beg you. And so when I'm reading this, I had always wondered this question. I said, is it ever... Does there ever come a point where it's good to beg somebody to do anything? Like, should I beg people to come to church? Should I beg people to believe in Jesus? Should I beg people? Um, should I, you know, beg um, my whatever to clean the room? You know, just say whatever, you know, fill in the blanks there. Should I ever, is there ever a point in your life that you should beg? To which Paul says, yes, there is. He says, I beg you. Now, let me give you this example. The other day... <laughs> Me and Kat wanted to go and take some pictures, and we, our, our goal was to make a Christmas card, and we went to Moss Rock Preserve in Birmingham, Alabama, and this place is full of just huge boulders, and you can climb these things if you're good. You can take pictures there. It's a really cool place, and so we decided that we was going to go to Moss Rock Preserve and take some Christmas card pictures to send you, and so the way this is, is there's this one boulder way up here, and there's another boulder kind of, I don't know, I'd say what, maybe 10 feet below, something like that, maybe uh, maybe 10 feet below, and then it's probably separated by another, what, 10 feet, something like that, and so... Um, I say there's a way that you can get there. You got to go all the way, kind of around the mountain, and kind of climb up, and then you got to climb up this this rock to get to to this to. to Here's a boulder, and here's a boulder. It's really hard. You kind of got to go around to get this boulder. But I said, Cat, you crawl up that boulder, and we're going to take your picture. Now, Cat didn't think that was a good idea. She was kind of climbing like, I'm in my boots, and I'm getting scuff marks on my boots. But here, sure, I'll climb it for you, Dre. But she's an amazing athlete and climber. So she climbs up there, and um, she finally gets up. And I'm the photographer now. I'm kind of taking a picture. I said, okay, good. This will make a perfect Christmas card gift. Hold up. I'm about to come up there. Now, I thought on my camera see that you have a delay do you know what i'm talking about and it said two and then it was a little little clock thing delay and so i'm thinking i have a two minute delay well two minutes is just enough time for me to come run and climb up until i took the picture and i noticed that it was a two second delay I said, how am I going to get from this mountain to that mountain? And I only have two seconds. There's no way. And I finally, I found that there was a 10-second delay. I said, well, 10 seconds, I maybe can make it. And so I'm telling Kat, I'm saying, Kat, get ready. I'm about to take the picture. She's saying, Drake, don't do it. I know what you're going to do. Don't do it. Don't do it. And she's like, Drake, I'm begging you. Please just do not do what you're about to do. Now, here's my idea. I was about to jump, take the picture, and just kind of leap from the taller boulder all the way down to her boulder. Older. And she's like, you're going to hurt yourself. Maybe you're going to die. At least you're going to tear your ACL again. This is a bad idea. It was a bad idea, wasn't it? It really was. It's not worth the picture. But anyways, I snapped it and just went Tarzan. Ah! I really did. I finally land there and I, the, I've got the picture and I'm kind of like that. And then Kat's over here smiling. I'm just like, ah! It was a terrible picture. It was blurry and everything. But the next time I did, I said, okay, 
because I kind of got to like the precipice of it, and then I kind of was scared. I was like, uh, 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 and she's begging me the whole time. And then I just jumped, and I said, okay, this time I'm just going to press the button, I'm just going to go for it. So I did, and I went, and I jumped, and here's the picture, by the way. Um, here we go. Oh, 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 there we go. That's cool, huh? And I was like, up oh, on this boulder. And I jumped all the way over there. You're thinking, is it really worth that? Absolutely not. I probably could have died, but I didn't, and it was all good. The point is, th- the point is this, is that Kat begged me not to jump, right? But what did I do? I'm a child, and I'm immature, and I don't listen to people that are smarter than I am, right? And I just jumped anyways. The point is this, is that you can beg somebody to, to do what you think is best for their lives. You can beg um, God. You can beg the question. You can beg them. But ultimately, it is their decision. You can, it was, um, C.S. Lewis said it like this, I can lead a horse to water, but I cannot make them drink and so it is in our lives and so it is in your lives right you say no um if little johnny um if i beg him to do something and he doesn't do it it, it's not gonna be no question okay that's not what i'm talking about get the fire belt out and just pow okay i'm talking about when when people in your life that you want so bad to bring to christ you can only bring them to the water you cannot make them drink it you can pray for them, you can beg the God, beg them, beg the question, but you cannot drink the water for them. You have to, you, you can, all right, let's keep going. Beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And then verse 2 says, always be humble and gentle, to which I ultimately thought of the Tim McGraw song. I think Tim McGraw sings that, always be humble and kind. Is that Tim McGraw? Yeah, okay, I'm not a very country music star. So, so I thought of that song. Then it says this, Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Okay, I want you to repeat after me. Everybody in here, repeat after me. Even if, you don't, um, uh, if you're not comfortable with it, don't repeat after me. But if you are, repeat after me. I am not perfect. Nobody is perfect. I am not perfect. And nobody is perfect. I am not perfect, you are not perfect, they are not perfect, and I am not perfect. Okay, good, yes, give your hands hand, good job. Okay, that was the active participating part I was talking about earlier. Yes, we are not perfect. I'll give you this example. The other day, I was looking, Cat was going to go buy a shotgun, well, we was going to go get Cat a shotgun for duck season. Duck season started this last Friday, and we needed to get her a 20 gauge, and so we said, okay, well, let's start looking. And I start looking. And the one that I find, it was um, a light shotgun, really, really light shotgun, which is good because um, as strong as Cat is, she's not the strongest. And so a light shotgun was good. But you know what's the bad thing about a light shotgun? What is it? It kicks. It kicks, right? And so you kind of have, you know, are you good? It's good. It's light. But then it's bad because it does what? It's going to kick a little bit harder. And I went to read online, and the article was titled this, No Such Thing as a Perfect Shotgun. And if it's so true about shotguns, how much more true is it about people? How much more true is it about people? Don't expect other people to be perfect because they're not going to be. You're not, they're not going to be. And learn to see other people's faults where they fall short and live with that. Accept that because nobody else is going to be perfect and just learn to live with that. I'll give you this one more example and I think this may help um, as well. Um, Ty. 
my little brother, he's right there. Um, Jeremy said he was my twin the other day. He got to talking to him for like three minutes, and he said, oh, wait, you're not Drake. And he said, okay, um, yeah, you're Ty, that's my brother. Um, he graduated high school, what was that, last year, Ty? And his graduation, I'll never forget this, um, I, because of the COVID and everything, the graduation was different than it ever had been, and we, nobody got to go because they only gave two tickets to graduation. I don't know if you're aware of COVID, but there's just a virus out there that's called COVID-19. And so because of the COVID-19, I wasn't going to be able to go to his graduation. And so I went to play golf that, that evening, and I get a phone call from my mom, and she says, hey, we found two extra tickets. Do you want to go to Ty's graduation? To which I said, absolutely, I would love to. And actually, that's not exactly what happened. Somebody um, lived right beside the school, and they said that we could come to their house and watch the graduation from like their back porch. And so that was the amazing, cool thing. So I said, yeah, I'll be there. I'm going to come. And so the, the day kind of passes, and the time kind of passes. His graduation starts at 7, and so 6 comes, and 6.30 comes, and 6.45 comes, and 7.30 comes. And I look at my phone, and it's 7.30, and I was out on a golf course playing golf, and I had missed my brother's graduation after I had the opportunity to go. And you could, like, punch me with a sack of bricks in the face, and it would have felt better than, like, that felt. I, I felt so bad, right? And then I was thinking, I was talking to Kat about that night. I said, why did I do that? It's so stupid. And she said, um, yeah, it is really stupid. You need to get your act together and become a good big brother. And I say, well, you're right about that. But then I think I, I think I understood that, like, people aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And I had to learn to forgive myself, right? And forgiving yourself can be some of the hardest things that you learn to do in life. And so not only do you need to make allowance for other people's faults, but make allowance for your own too. Because you will fall short time and time again. We will continue to try to become better, but ultimately we will fall short. And when we do, learn to forgive yourself. It's going to be the hardest thing to do, but it must happen. Let's keep reading. It says this. Because of your... What's the next word? Because of your... Love, yes, absolutely. What does the Bible say about love? I think the Bible says this about love in 1 Corinthians 13. I think it says something like this. If I could speak all the languages of men and of angels, but yet I did not love, I would be nothing more than a clanging gong and a noisy cymbal. If I um, could prophesy and had such special wisdom that I knew all of God's secret plans, and if I had such faith to say to this mountain, jump, and it jumps, but yet I did not love others, I would be nothing. If I um, gave everything that I possess to the poor, but yet, I mean, I even gave my body to be martyred at the stake. I mean, I could boast about it, but if I did not love, I would have nothing. For love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast or proud or rude, love is not irritable, love does not demand its own way, love does not rejoice whenever injustice wins, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out, love does not keep record of times being wrong, love always has hope, never loses faith, and endures through every single circumstance that you will ever face. Now, prophesying and speaking in unknown languages and even special knowledge, it will all pass. But not love, because love will last forever. Prophesying and speaking in unknown languages, I mean, even that is only like a part, a part of the whole picture. It's like a partial piece of the entire picture. But when the time of perfection comes, we will know all these things fully. 
Now, when I was a, a, a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned as a child. I spoke like a child. But when I became a man, I put away these childish things. Right? Do you know where I'm going with this? You know where I'm going with this? Now, now these things, and it's talking about prophesying and speaking unknown languages. Now, these things are like, they're like fuzzy. They're like looking at a, a, a fuzzy mirror is how my translation says it. It's, it's imperfect. We can't really see. It's, it's like, ah, oh, we don't really know. It's like um, if you take a shower and it's really, really hot and you get out to see how good you look and then it's like really steamy, you can't really see. That's what it's talking about. Now these things are like looking through a fuzzy mirror, but then when the time of perfection comes, these things will be complete and we will be full just as we have been fully known by God. Three things will last forever. Do you know what they are? Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is because of your love, because of your love, make acceptance for other people's faults because I am not perfect they are not perfect and nobody else is perfect either let's keep reading make every effort to keep yourselves this is verse 3 make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit bonding yourselves together with peace and I, and I read this this one phrase that says united in the spirit united in the spirit united in the spirit last Sunday I'll give you this for an example Last Sunday, I, um, I was going to speak on depression and anxiety and stress and fear and worry. And I had all this whole thing planned out. And I was so excited about kind of what I was talking about. But then Sunday, I mean, Saturday night and Sunday morning, I came in here. I sat like literally right here. Well, I sat right here for a little while. And I just kind of like laid down for the rest of the, the sermon, I mean, of the time. And I just began to pray and like write stuff down. And I just be, and as I began to pray, I thought to myself, I really need to speak about prayer this Sunday morning. And then it even came further than that. And I said, well, I don't even want to just speak about prayer. I want to actually do prayer because the, the, you know, the, the, Jesus said this, my house is to be a house of prayer and I thought well I actually want to do this and so I, 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 just, I, was, I was on the verge I couldn't decide what I wanted to do if I wanted to still speak about depression and anxiety and stress and worry and all this stuff that I had already planned or if I wanted to talk a little bit about prayer and then just have like have an opportunity for you just to come down and pre, uh, come down and pray and so I was confused and so what did I do what did I do I was divided I don't know if you caught this but I did both I did both. I did not pick one. I spoke on both things. I learned a good lesson. I really did. I learned a big lesson. Never speak two sermons in one. Never speak two sermons in one. Because it would confuse everybody. It would confuse me. Never speak two sermons in one. Pick one and go with it. Whatever you pick, either A or B, pick one and go with it. If you, in case you don't believe me, um, here's a, a picture of my um, notes. Now, these are my notes. And just in case you think this is bad, uh, let's look at the other one. Uh, yeah, I mean, look at that. That's mass chaos. I don't even know. And I was so confused with, like, with the whole sermon. I just didn't know. Why? Because I was divided. And because I was divided, 
I had a lack of ministry. My ministry was tainted. It wasn't as strong as it could be. Because why? Because I was divided in my thoughts. And that's what this is saying. It's saying you will, if you are divided, if we are divided as a body of Christ, then we will be, our ministry to the lost and dying world will not be as strong as it could be. And so, yeah, we can disagree on some things. Like, um, we, we can disagree if you should wear masks or not wear masks. We can disagree maybe on um, if we should have Wednesday night meals or just have Wednesday night Bible studies. Or we can disagree on if we should go to missions in Cuba or missions in Quebec. Or we can disagree if we're going to do evangelism door to door or if we're going to do evangelism through handing out Bibles to um to, 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 to a college kids. I don't know. We can do, we can disagree on a lot of different things, but that's not the case. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, don't become so disagreeable. Don't disagree so adamantly that you become disagreeable. Right? We can still disagree and still love each other. The whole reason they made universities was because they said this, you know, like Mississippi State University. We lost yesterday to Ole Miss. It was really sad. You know why they made Mississippi State University, Mississippi University, LSU, Louisiana State University, I guess, all the other universities? It's because they said this. It's because we want to have unity in diversity. We can disagree. We can have different outlooks. Diversity, that's what it is. But we want to have a unity in that. And I would say the same thing is true for us. We can disagree about aspects of many, many different things, but we don't want to become disagreeable. We want to have a unity. We want to have unity. Let's keep reading. Next, it says this. It says, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all and living through all. And when I read this, I said, you know, God the Father is over all. I can roll with that. You can roll with that. God's over all. But then I thought, he's in all? I scratched my head. And then I read, he's living through all? And I thought, I don't don't know about that. And so I I started questioning that. And then this is what I found. I said, "Um, let's look at the word all. So I went to my Greek New Testament. I opened it up and I looked at the Greek word for all, and I, I wanted to see if it was everyone or if it was literally all. And you can do the same thing. You can go to um, a concordance, but it, it, the word is actually like everything, like all the atoms. Because I was thinking, like, is God living through the murderer? Is God living through COVID-19? Is God living through every single thing? And I was questioning this, and I think it's okay to have questions. That's okay. And so I asked Kat. I said, Kat, I'm struggling with this. It was this morning. I was sitting by the fire. We have one of those in our house. And I was sitting like this, and I was wearing my hands up. And I said, Kat, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I don't know. Um, what do you think? And then she, um, she said, <laughs> smarter than I am, she said, Well, Drake, maybe living through all just means that God is the author of all things and nothing comes into presence or being without him. And so maybe when it says through all, it just means that he is the author of everything, all life, all atoms. And so that is what it means, not that he causes everything, not that he um, um, determines everything, that just he is over and in and through all things, all things flow through him. I said, okay, babe, um, you can preach my sermon. Here you go. It was like, oh my gosh, you are a genius. But the the thing that, the, the conclusion is this. The conclusion is this. 
sometimes you will read things in the Bible that will make you scratch your head. Amen? You will read things in the Bible that make you scratch your head, and you won't understand it. And you don't have to understand everything. You don't have to understand everything to read the Bible. What's important is you ask yourself the questions, and you continue to read. And you continue to read. You don't have to have an understanding. Maybe Kat's right. Maybe we still just don't know. I don't know. But continue to read. You're going to have questions. Some things are going to trouble you, but let it be. Verse 7 says this, However, he has given each one of us a, what does yours say, a special gift is what mine says. Yours may say a, a, a gift, a special gift. Either way, it says he has given us something like a gift. And the good question that we would ask is, and um, Mr. Will Vaughn asked this question in Sunday school about two weeks ago. He says, um, well, how do you know what your gift is? That's a really good question, isn't it? It's a good question. How do you know what your gift is? I mean, I, I've been living for 24 years of life, and I still have trouble. What is my gift? Here's what I would say. I would say it's two things. Are you ready for this? Write this down in your mental notes or on your phone or in your notes or, or wherever. Get this, okay? What is your special gift? I would say ask yourself this question. What is your purpose and what is your passion? What is your purpose and what is your passion? Here's our purpose. As Christians, here's our purpose. We get it from 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, in everything I do, I will glorify God. In everything that I do, I will live to bring glory to God. And I will say, that's our purpose. Our purpose is to bring glory to God. That is your purpose. That's my purpose. That is our purpose here on this earth is to bring glory to God. Now, here's the next question. How do you do that? And I'll ask you the question, what's your passion? What's your passion? What's your passion? I'll give you this example. I know a dude, his name is Vic. Um, he works with my father. His name is Vic. Now, he's an amazing mechanic. He loves mechanic work. He's, he's really good at it, and he really enjoys it. And so his passion is in mechanics. And like, I don't know, fixing stuff. I couldn't fix a microwave if it broke, much less. I couldn't. I mean, if a picture fall, falls off a wall, I like kind of, Hey, cat, can you come fix this? I mean, I'm not really good at, like, that kind of stuff. And so um, I speak for a living, okay? And so this is what I discovered. I was talking to, to Dad, and he was telling me this story about Mr. Vic. And Mr. Vic would take these, um, this, 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 um, this lawnmower. My, when my grandfather passed away, he had these extra lawnmowers, and they didn't work. But Vic came and got them, and he took them to his house, and he fixed them. He fixed them. And you know what he did? He gave them away. He gave them away to the, to the poor, the people that didn't have lawnmowers. Why? Because that was his passion. He knew his purpose. He said, I'm going to fix this up. I'm going to give it to somebody who really needs it, right? What is my gift? What's your passion? Let your passion fuel your purpose. Your purpose to glorify God. What are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? Do it to the best of your abilities. And whatever I do, that's what it says, and whatever I do, I will do it to bring glory to God. And then it says this. It says, um... However, he has given each one of us special gifts through the generosity of Christ. This is why scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9 says this, Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended. And you read, Christ descended. Christ descended? Where did Christ descend to? Do you see that right there? Christ descended. And so you read that and you're like, Christ descended? Where did he descend to? There's three options of this, okay? Where did Christ go? Where did, it's specifically talking about where did Christ go? Um, maybe perhaps this, when he died. Three questions. He, or three 
possible outcomes. Number one, he descended to hell. That's number one. He descended to hell. That's option one. He descended to hell. Option two is talking about he descended from heaven to earth. Okay? He descended from heaven to earth. Option two, he descended from heaven to earth. Number one is he descended, he was on earth, and he descended to hell when he died. Okay, option number three is this. When it says, um, when it, when it says he descended, it means he died. So he was on earth and he died. He descended into the grave. He descended into the grave. Even though it was a tomb, they still had that same concept that when you die, you descend in the ground. You descend in the ground. So it's one, two, or three, right? He either went to hell, he either came from heaven to earth, um, or he descended into the grave, or all three are true. It could be all, the, all three are true, or two of the three. Here we go. All right, it says this. I'll, I'll explain that later. I'll explain this right now. He it also descended, and then it is, Paul's about to give us an answer. It says, to, what's it say? To our, to our. Now this is tricky, because yours reads different than mine, and mine reads different than yours. How many of yours say, raise your hand, says, descended to our lowly world? If your Bible says that, raise your hand. I see one right here. To our lowly world, to our lowly world, to our lowly world. Anybody else? To our lowly world. Gotcha, gotcha. To our lowly world. Christ descended to our lowly world. Now how many of yours says this? To... The lower parts of the earth. If yours says to the lower parts of the earth, I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. To the lower, I got you. To the lower parts of the earth, I got you. Now, what to do that? Did he descend to the lower parts of the earth or did he descend to our lowly world? You see how that would be different when you read it? Lower parts of the earth sounds like what? Sounds like either hell or the grave. But to our lowly world sounds more like, I can't remember my numbers, it sounds more like from heaven to earth. You see that? So what do you do? Here, here, here's why this is different. When the earliest manuscripts that we have, now a manuscript is the copy of the original, right? The earliest manuscripts that we have say this. It says that Christ ascended to the lower parts of the earth and the most reliable. The earliest and the most reliable say the lower parts of the earth. Lower parts of the earth, which would lead you to think either hell or the grave. But more manuscripts, but more manuscripts, later manuscripts, but they are much more, say, to our lowly world. So which one is it? I don't know. Which one is it? I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. And that's kind of a little bit what I was saying earlier. It's just one of those things you have questions about, right? You have questions. Where did Christ go when he died? Was it talking about? I don't know. We don't know. And that's okay. That's okay to not understand the Bible all the time. It's okay. You can have different opinions, and I can have different opinions. It's not, that's not what it's about. It's not about me coming up here and telling you what to think. I don't want to teach anybody what to think. I mean, I, I could tell you what I thought about it. I don't want to. I want to teach you what to think. I want to teach you what? I want to teach you, anybody know this? How to think. I want to teach you how to think. I think that's important. Teach you how to think. How to think through big questions like this. How to think through these questions. And you're going to have questions when you read the Bible. Let's keep reading. It says this, verse 10. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Here's their responsibility. Verse 12, this is their responsibility. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, which is the body of Christ. So that's my job, that's your job. I had a preacher one time, I asked him, I said, well, do you, you know, do missions? Do you evangelize? He said, no, that's not my job. My job is to equip. And I kind of was like confused by his answer. I said, well, isn't the best way to equip and to teach and to lead is to lead by example? And he said, well, um, 
That's a good point. I said, well, I think it is too. And so we're, our job is also to, to do the things, to lead by example. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity. There that word is again. Unity, not division. Unity in our faith and our knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 14 says this, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced with people that try to trick us with lies so cleverly, so that sound so clever that they sound like the truth. Okay, get this. All right, get this right here. With lies so clever they sound like the truth, he's talking about false prophets, and I will say this. And I, will say, I will say, in 2020, in 2020, in 2020, it is so easy, so easy to get on your phone and to pull up YouTube or to Facebook and look up any pastor that you want to. I can go Louis Giglio. I can go David Jeremiah. Can I? Have, you, have y'all ever done this? I can go Ravi Zachariah. I can look up any pastor that I want. I can go to, um, um, I don't know, uh, Paul Washer. I can go to Stephen Furtick. I can go to Judah Smith. I, can, I just go and I can listen to all these sermons. Boom, boom, boom. Or I can go to Facebook and do the same thing. I and mean, It doesn't matter. It's so easy to listen to a multitude of different pastors. It really is. It's so easy to do that. But I will say this. Today, it's also the easiest to be influenced by false prophets because of that. What do I mean? By pastors that like, like say one thing, but they live different. What is a false prophet? Jesus says, like he, does, he defines what a false prophet is. He says this. Okay, here's a false prophet. Are you ready? He says, you can identify them by their, by their, what is a, a, an apple is a type of, Fruit. You can identify them by their fruit. Can you pick, do you remember this? Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or can you pick figs from thistles? Absolutely not. And just as you can determine a tree, what kind of tree is this? By its fruit, you can determine a type of person by their actions. And so he says, look, and you'll see if they're a false prophet by the way that they live. Now I would say this, we, we um, I'll give you, uh, I'm saying this to really bring up one particular big example. Um, Carl Lentz. Carl Lentz. Have you heard about Carl Lentz? You know who Carl Lentz is? Carl Lentz is the pastor of Hillsong Church. You know Hillsong? Um, who the sun sets free. Oh, please stop singing, okay? I don't know. You know a ton of Hillsong songs, right? Hillsong Church. They're in um, New York, New York, New York. Huge church, mega church. Biggest church in the whole entire world. Um, Hillsong. He's a pastor there. And two weeks ago, well, actually it's probably been a month now, he, um, he, 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 he got caught um, in an affair. And the, the bigger branch of Hillsong, which is on Australia, they let him go. They said, you no longer can work here, which I think was a good move by them. But um, the woman that he had the affair with, she was a model in New York. She, she came out on, on ABC the other day, or I think it was maybe ABC, maybe it was um, CBN. Either way, she came out and she said, our affair lasted about five months. It lasted about five months. And since she came out, there have been about ten other women who have come out saying the same thing, that they had a relationship with Carl. It was so bad that Hillsong actually announced um, a, a investigation onto the whole scene in, in their church. I think it was a good move as well on Carl and his whole history. Here's my point. I pray for Carl. I pray for Carl and his family because that's a bad situation. That's a bad situation. 
I, I feel, I mean, they're trying to work their marriage out. Um, there were signs leading up to this entire thing of the, of, of the affair coming out. I mean, he was posting pictures that he shouldn't have ever been posting and saying things that he shouldn't have ever been saying. And I feel bad for the church because the church is um, in this, like, limbo state season where they have been listening to this pastor and now like this stuff comes out about him and the, and, the, and could, I mean could you imagine being in their shoes and here's what I would say I would say um I hope that Carl um made a bad decision and that he is still a believer and he's going to work through his marriage that he's going to work through his own faith and he said this he came out in an interview and he said i was so busy feeding other people that i never fed myself the point of the whole illustration is this is that be careful who you listen to because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes of your of their life be careful who you listen to because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Put up your biblical guard. See if what they're saying is true and accurate and if it aligns with the Word of God. Last point I want to make is this. It says this in verse 15. It says, instead, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And you've heard this, voice, this before. Speak the truth in love. I'll end by saying this. Um, my dad. My dad, I was coming into... Um, not really seminary, but really into becoming a minister, right? And he come to me. He came to me one day. And he said, "Drake, I have no doubt that you are in a, that that you do good speaking, that you can communicate, um, that you come up with examples like I've never seen anybody, that you know the Bible." That um, he and he gave me a, a, a lot of compliments. He said, "You're really good here. I don't have any worries, but I have this one thing that you're not so good at, and I want to tell you because I think as a parent I need to tell you this, and it may help you." And this is what he said. He said, "You take criticism very poorly." Okay, and I said, no, I don't. I don't take criticism bad. And he said, my point proven, son. And so he said, you take criticism very poorly. And in most job professions, that's okay. It's okay to take criticism poorly. And that's just, that, that's just fine. But in your profession, that's not um, a good thing. Because it's in those moments where somebody might approach you and say, hey, you need to do this different, or I didn't really like this, or whatever, that um, you will build your character and your trust and is how you handle those situations where people will really say, hey, this, this dude's our pastor versus this dude is just um it's just a little joker over here right and he said you need to get better at criticism it was hard to hear but he told me it why because he loved me it was the truth but it was hard and i said the same thing needs to be true in your life speak the truth say the hard things but do it in love why because you do love somebody because the hardest thing that they may need to hear could be the very good thing that would help them the most Correct, right? Do you understand where I'm going with this? So have the hard conversations. Tell the person living in sin, hey, you need to, you need to fix this. Tell your wife, like, have the hard conversations. Speak the truth in love. I'll end by saying this. Um, we read the Bible today, and I had this, I had this note. This, 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 this note is, has $20. Does anybody want this? Could this help anybody? Anybody want this? It's an envelope full of $20. There's nobody, nobody wants $20. Nobody in here wants to. I'm giving it away like Andrew Carnegie gave. Just give it away, right? I'm giving this $20. Does anybody, nobody wants this $20. Okay, Mr. J, yes, right. Good, good. Um, here you go, Mr. J. Uh, $20 just for you, right? Boom. Okay, now, um, you're, I, I love you, Mr. J. 
couldn't have asked for anybody else to raise their hand. You're the only person that raised their hand. That lets me know you're the smartest one. You're the smartest one in the room, okay? Now, what if Mr. J's crops were doing really poorly? He just got done picking. What if the cotton price dropped? Corn dropped, soybeans dropped, all of his equipment tore up, and it was all going to cost him $20 to fix. <laughs> yeah, right, $20 wouldn't scratch the surface. Now, what if that $20 could really help him, but he had it in an envelope, and he put it right beside his bed. And he really needed that $20. He really needed that $20, but it sat there right beside his bed, and he never opened it. Would it help him? Would it help him? He would have it, but it wouldn't help him, would it? No. It's not until he breaks the seal, he knocks off the dust, and he opens the letter and gets the $20 that he can pay um, the people to come help his tractor, that he can pay to have some new seed to plant for next year, that he can pay um, his bills that he may need to pay, um, whatever it is. It is not until he opens it that the availability, that help can come. You say, Drake, why didn't you give me more than $20? There you go. He's already opened it up. Like, i got to see if this joke is telling the truth. There we go. It is not until he opens it up that he can find what is truly in there that it can help him. And I'll say the same thing is true for your Bible. If it sits there beside your bedside never gets opened, it's not going to be of any help to you. But it's not until you open it up, knock off the dust, and start to read this that you can see what's inside can really help you through your life. It can really give you aid. It can really help you through many things that you struggle with. But it's not until you open it up that we'll have the possibility to do that in your life, and in my life. Let's pray. God, thank you for everything that you've given us. Thank you for letting us be here today. God, we love you and we thank you. I pray that this message um, helped everybody, and I also pray that it wasn't too terribly boring. God, we love you in everything that we do. Give us safe travels as we head back to our house, and let us all go away in really good health. In your name I pray, amen and amen.